and welcome everyone to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Make Matriarchy Great Again podcast, uh, and this specifically is the Feminine Divine series, and I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. And I am Dawn Sam Alden. Welcome, welcome everyone, and Happy New Year. Happy this is our year. first podcast recording of the new year. It is, and uh, it's just, I've been looking forward to this. I know you have as well. We have uh, a guest today. Uh, Reverend Dr. Kate Kress of the St. James in the City Episcopal Church, and she's going to join us to talk about the Feminine Divine from her own particular spiritual standpoint. Welcome to the Reverend Dr. Kate. Thank you, Sean, and thank you, Don. I'm so happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. So I thought, uh, you know, I was talking to Dawn about it, you know, since this is kind of the, uh, just more personal, relaxed journey, but I did want to, at least for the listener, give a sort of um, just a setting of a background. If you can tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you're from and uh, how you kind of, you know, what faith tradition sort of you grew in and what, you know, sort of your foundations of who you are now. How you came to yeah. be a reverend in the Episcopal yeah. Church. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. All right. Well, thank you for that question. I'm I'm a very unlikely candidate for this role because I grew up in a family with no religion whatsoever, none, 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 in Kentucky. It's amazing that you can grow up in Kentucky without religion, but I did. <laughs> Not only did I grow up without religion, but I didn't even really know that it was going on around me. Um, in those days. I mean, my grandmother in the mountains, you know, went to Methodist, the Methodist church and we visited once a year for Easter, but we just ended up in the basement coloring with other kids. And and so I didn't have any idea about uh, what it would mean to live uh, any kind of a faith life. So I don't, I really don't know how this happened, <laughs> but um okay. No, you just, you know how you meet people along the way and they're just sort of, they're guides. There was a woman that our family knew growing up and she was an Episcopalian and she took me maybe three times to uh, a very austere high church in Washington, D.C., loads of incense, men only. And I enjoyed it as a cultural experience, but it never crossed my mind that that was a life for me. And then I went to Georgetown University, which is a Catholic school, mm-hmm. and I and I took all the required theology classes, you know, the the sort of intro classes. I took Ingmar Bergman and the Silence of God. I mean, I I, I studied God. Wow. <laughs> I studied God, uh, Celtic spirituality, but it never again occurred to me that there was anything about that study that could happen to my own heart. No, no idea. It was just, it was just like studying philosophy or history. Um, also, because I was at Georgetown, the 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 religious leaders were men and clubby men at that because they you know it's a community and mm. and um, and they were more they were more responsive to male students because they were coming from a very male mm. tradition intellectual yes but still very male so <laughs> i certainly didn't see myself there yeah you were guests in their house yeah i mean after yeah. after class 
uh, in those days. I'm sure it's very different now. But in those days, after class, the, the, the teachers, the Jesuits, would invite male students to go and have a beer. And they would continue to talk about theology. They weren't inviting me to have beer and right. talk about theology. So anyway, it was just a different time. Um, I just, uh, I, curiously too, just to, to kind of like backtrack a little bit, because uh, again, part of the journey and I'm interested is, so your parents were not religious. Were they atheists specifically, or were they just, you know, sort of agnostic? No, they were just sort of refugees from mainline Protestant uh, uh, religious life in those days, which, which, you know, because it was the sixties and everybody was rethinking. <laughs> so mm. I think they were really the first generation in Kentucky who could actually choose to not go to church. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they were atheists particularly, but they were absolutely not interested. My dad in the fire and brimstone uh, sermons from the mountains where he grew up and my mother just from the Presbyterian church down the street, it just didn't have anything to say to them. So they never said anything to us about it. <laughs> right. well, one way or the other, they never said they didn't believe in God. And, and, and oddly, at night, they would, um, my mom would, um, would say that children's prayer. Now I lay me lay down, me to, down sleep. to sleep. Yeah. That was the only mention, of, but, but, but she never extrapolated from there. <laughs> it was just, a, it was a ritual, a bedtime ritual. So I just, going way back to being a little kid, the only women that I remember in religion were, um, you know, Maria in, in Sound of Music. And this, you all are probably too young for this, but there was a TV show called The Flying Nun. Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> she, was a, she was a young, uh, impetuous nun in an order uh, I don't know where they were, but anyway, she could fly. Right, right. Yeah. And I remember really wanting to be a nun at that point. Because it meant you could fly. It meant you could fly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. who wouldn't want that? I always liked the idea of jobs that had uniforms. <laughs> I always dreamed of a uniform. I don't know what that's about. So anyway, so that was the that was the pretty barren landscape for me uh, growing up. Just nothing. A whole lot of, I mean, I had a really interesting childhood. I mean, I, after the first nine years in Kentucky, I, I lived in Malaysia and Botswana. I went to high oh, school in Botswana wow. and, and uh, many different parts of the United States. And so it was, I, I was introduced to a big world and, and certainly saw many different faith traditions. And, and I loved them all from a, cultural standpoint how did you come to travel like that what was the about mm-hmm. like, I assume it's a job of your something yeah your it was my, my, my mom remarried when I was nine uh an economist who was working in those days for the Ford Foundation and in those days the Ford Foundation used to send people uh around the world as consultants I think that's a different model now but so that's how we ended up in those different places got it and um and and I'm so grateful for that exposure. Yeah. I remember my high school in Botswana was just this small private school in the bush. And every week uh, at our assembly, 
a different religious leader from a different tradition would come in and, and preach. And, and I found that fascinating. Again, never imagining myself as part of any of it, but, but appreciating it all the same, appreciating maybe the, the, the sort of resonance of the, the ideas, the similar ideas across the different traditions. It was beautiful to me, but again, not personal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> when, when so, did it be, when did it become personal? When right, right. Well, this is the this is the weird part of my well, the weirdest part of my story. So, I had just gotten a master's degree and a teaching license, and i I went to a job fair at a Holiday Inn in Boston, and ended up with a job in Korea at a high school in Korea, an international school, and and they said that they were a non denominational Christian school, and I thought non denominational meant not very serious. <laughs> you know, we're not even serious enough to choose a denomination. That's how relaxed we are. That's what I thought it meant. And so I thought, well, that's just about how I feel. So <laughs> I'm sure I'll fit in there. This is my my naivete. And so I arrived in Korea to a school which was a hardcore evangelical school filled with American um, missionaries really. Um, and, um, I didn't even know what, what evangelicals were. And, um, and so I was, and I, I think this might sound disrespectful if I say it this way, but I was, I was fresh meat because I was not saved in their view. And so they couldn't believe that I wasn't and that I wouldn't want to be. And so there was a real full court press experience as I was, you know, being, mm, what's the word? Um, uh, what's the word for when you're being proselytized? I forget. I thought you say proselytized, but. I know, but there's, no, there's, a more, there's a more elegant word, witness to. I was being witness oh. to around the clock, you know. Wow. One friend of mine, Betsy, she brought me up onto the roof of our building one day and just started you know, laying on hands and speaking in tongues. And I was absolutely, I was astounded (laughs) and a little panicked too. I mean, I was sort of simultaneously realizing that there, that people could live in community in this very faith filled way um, and be guided by their faith and pray together every day about things that were on their mind. You know, I, I'd never seen this, you, this kind of life. So, and also the very personal way that they talked about Jesus, you know, uh, like a friend and all of it was new to me. And, and I was both incredibly uncomfortable and also fascinated and moved by all of the heart that I saw in their religious life, it was all coming from the heart. Whereas at Georgetown, it felt like it was all coming from the head. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I didn't submit to any of the um, evangelizing that was going on, but I also met during that time, another smaller group of teachers who were Lutherans and Lutheran missionaries in Korea in the eighties were very different. They, they learned to speak Korean. They learned about the culture. They became good friends with uh, the uh, Koreans instead of living in, in 
American enclaves and, and they were just mm-hmm. a whole different kind of Christian. So I also got to know them and they also evangelized, <laughs> but <laughs> they did it. Um, they did it um, in, by giving me uh, really smart books to read and, and having long discussions and, and not touching me. <laughs> It's interesting to hear because I mean, when I, when I hear about Georgetown, the Jesuits, my mm. faith tradition is Catholicism. So I'm a oh, oh, I hope I haven't said anything to, to oh, no, not a, no, no, in fact, I not at all. In fact, not okay. at all. I, in fact, I look, I always say, I look at the Episcopal faith for me, it's like we're, we're, we're like fraternal twins. So I, yes, not, yes, yes, not, yes, yeah, yes. so I, there's no issue at all. But no, I have the same, it's a, it's an interesting because my experience comes from. Have, you know, being raised in the faith and being close to my faith, but it is interesting to encounter. Like, for example, for whatever reason, my door is a magnet for missionaries. So missionaries come to my door regularly. It's and on some kind of map that it you... is. It is, and I, and I throw them off because instead of having to convert, I just automatically go. I, you know, I believe in Jesus, and God bless you. I hope your mission goes well. And they mm. usually leave confused. <laughs> I don't think that usually happens, but it's it's interesting to hear you talk about the head because something like the Jesuits, I always think of it's if you encounter them after having the heart of the faith, I think it's a very interesting way to encounter them. But if you don't have that, I, I could see how that absolutely would be this sort of like you're just getting a, a very highly intellectualized because that's what they were created as, right? That right, was their, right. Was their mandate in the church was to go out. Right. And, you know, but I mean, charming other. fellows, charming, brilliant, you know, erudite fellows. I mean, there's no, I mean, I'm not, I, I it just, yeah, I, I just couldn't feel it. But, and also it's a, a very male and, and that's the other yes. thing, which is why I find it yeah. interesting about the Episcopal faith and that the female traditions, like it is a very male. So I, I could see how, I just basically wanted to say, I understand what right. you're saying, where you're coming from. Because yeah, In those days, though, if I had been an Episcopalian in those days, it wouldn't have been that different because, you know, women weren't ordained until the late 70s right. and only a few renegades at that point. So so it would have been... It, it, is, interesting. Yeah. it is very interesting that Sean chose to use the phrase fraternal twins. I know. Yeah. Two churches. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I should I wish I had a sound effect for that, Dawn, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm ching. There we go. Anyway, we interrupted. I, mean, I think that's right. certainly that would have been true in the eighties, in the seventies and eighties. It would have yeah. it would have been fraternal twins. Yeah. So here I am in Korea in this hot bed of 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 Christian uh <laughs> experience and 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 the, and you know the Lutherans, they were mostly from Minnesota, by the way, and they were just salt of the earth. You know, they had kind of a good sense of humor. They started to make sense to me, and so I was taken under the wing of one of the women, uh, a, a wife of 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 a of a Lutheran pastor, and and she kind of explained Christianity to me in a way that I'd never. heard heard it before. I mean, it was basically, I guess, um, the, the catechism, right. The, the basic beliefs, it's like this, you believe, you know, we believe this, 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 and, and I, and I remember thinking, huh, 
okay, all right. Well, I mean, I don't understand all of this, but some of it, some of it is starting to click. And, and, and the more that I spend time with her, um, the more I started to feel like I wanted to be baptized, hmm. even though this is not something that had ever happened to anyone in my family. <laughs> and so anyway, I, after a while, uh, um, I was at, in a little Lutheran church that I was going to on Sunday mornings. Um, and it was, uh, it was a, it was a religious experience. As they say, I remember just there being this sort of overwhelming golden light. And I remember that, Oh, I remember the days leading up to it. I felt, um, giddy, like I in love, you know, and mm. it was it was it was a powerful experience. And then almost immediately, I was appointed the church secretary. And you know, it was it was it was such a tiny community that I felt part of something in a way in a in a different kind of way than I ever had before. And so there was immediately that sense too of being part of a community, which was power of beautiful. community. Yeah, beautiful experience. They we went on retreat. And, um, you know, just that multi-age coming together around meals and it was, it was, it was stunning. So I was, all of a sudden I was, I was a Lutheran, I guess, and, um, and a Christian. And I remember one of my relatives came to visit me in Korea and went back and told the rest of the family, she's joined a coven of Christians. I love that. I know, I know. Because <laughs> that's kind of what it was. Yeah, I mean, it was the most radical thing, I think, to my in my mother's eyes, it was the most radical thing that I could possibly have done. Um, a kind of a where did I go wrong thing, almost, you know, because she, I think she thought that Christians, at least the ones in her experience, were not um, smart. Interesting. I want to. I want to just be, before exploring that a little bit. I just want to kind of go back to the the woman who touched you know, sort of touched yeah. her faith or touched her heart. <laughs> was it was it given what you said about the experience of like Georgetown being very male? Was there was there an aspect to it that? here was a woman who was reaching out to you in the faith or was that just all the, yes, absolutely. It's always been women for me in the faith. Always. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who have been my, um, my, my friends in this. It's even the woman that I knew as a young child who taught me, who brought me to that crazy high Episcopal church in, in DC. I shouldn't call that church crazy. I'm it, it seemed crazy to me given who I was as a child, you know. Right. Um, yes, this particular woman was calm and warm and intelligent. And I think for me, it was just the revelation that you could be very intelligent and also very faithful. I just hadn't known that. It was a melding of the heart and the mind. It was a melding of the heart and the mind. It was. It was. It was. Because I had a lot of information about Christianity, but it 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 was that wonderful sort of seeping into my heart and um 
think the most, the reason that I felt like I was in love, I was, I guess, in love in those days leading up to my baptism was this feeling of how the faith could be a way of feeling loved like I'd never been loved. That that whole community experience of being accepted into a place where you are supported. Well, Don, yes, but actually what I was thinking when I said that was mm-hmm. loved by God. Ah. Yeah, was I, was, I was wondering, yes. Yeah, that's what, it was just, aha, <laughs> aha. So it can be like this. Mm-hmm. You can feel absolutely loved. I just had no idea. They should have mentioned something about that at Georgetown, I feel. <laughs> well, you know, it's, 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 it's fascinating. It is fascinating here because when you when you read, I mean, so many of the stories, of, whether it's stories of the saints or the, or the mm. early days of the church, you know, being filled with Pentecost, filled with the spirit, that sort mm. of thing. So was it that kind of like, you know, and so many different, Christian faith traditions, you see that kind of like someone gets filled with the spirit. They're hit, you know, you see it in some certain traditions, they're hit with the spirit and they're just, you know, they're dancing or they're just, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I've had those experiences in, in, in the years since, but at that moment, it really was um like it was just feeling touched by a kind of love that I'd yet to experience. Um, a kind of acceptance, a kind of, mm, it, it was such an, it was a, an embodied experience. Yeah. Um, and um, I just couldn't believe how good it made me feel. So, so, I mean, I, and now, now I, I, I've had, Many experiences where I can feel, oh yeah, that was a Holy Spirit moment. Yep, I feel that. I could see that that person is sort of has been, you know, <laughs> seized by the power of a great, you know, um, force. But but for me at that point, it was just, it was it was as if the the personal Jesus that the evangelicals were talking about, as they, you know, worked with me <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> on my conversion, it, it couldn't make sense. It couldn't make sense. But I saw the love, you know, I saw the, I saw the love that they were feeling and, and somehow when my Lutheran mentor combined that with, with, um, with, uh, this beautiful faith tradition, um, it just, it, like you said, it, it sort of melded. And I thought to I thought to myself on some emotional level, oh, I can do this. This feels like me. Nice. Mm. So where did that take you? <laughs> well, n- no place very fast. Um, I came back to the U.S. after a few years in Korea, and I tried to find a Lutheran church, but you know, a lot of churches just don't don't do it for me. You know, these church there's one on the Harvard campus, and and um, these young young adult greeters would come rushing up and invite me to coffee hour afterwards. I would rather have died than go to that coffee. Hour. I just didn't feel comfortable. I mean, I felt I felt alien. I and I I didn't know how to fit in. And then I went to this 
very fine church in Boston called Emmanuel, um, where they play a complete Bach cantata every Sunday. And, mm. and I loved that for the beauty. And then I tried to, to be part of a women's group there. But their discourse was so far beyond who and what I was at that stage, you know, they were. They would be great guests on your, on your podcast, <laughs> but I was just trying to learn the basics of Christianity still, and and um, um, and I and I didn't fit in there either, and so I just sort of wandered. I wandered from church to church, and and didn't find a place. So it is Don all about community, and yet it's really hard to find a community for me anyway, it was really hard in those days to find a community that felt right. If it just, you know, to, to add just from, again, from a Christian perspective, it's, it's hard. I know exactly what you mean about the colleges too, because I, you know, there were always different groups and I, I would always be of, of the mindset, particularly back then where I was sort of like, you know, I don't need you all putting me in a huddle, like in a football huddle while we're yes. all doing stuff. I could do yeah. this on my, like, yeah. So I get it. Like there are certain kinds of experiences which just don't work, yeah. you know, for each of us. And then there are also certain, yeah, there are certain times I'll go to a parish and it's like, this is not, I, I, this is not happening for me. You're like, this is. And maybe I, part I'm of not, it's just that it's just where we are on the journey too, because yeah. absolutely. then, yeah. you know, I guess some years later, um, Mm, I, I had a young child and a husband and my dad was dying of cancer. And I went back to Kentucky to spend time with him. And he had never, as I said, gone to church, but in his final years, he'd, he'd married, his fourth wife was a very religious woman from his hometown. And he was teaching Sunday school. <laughs> wow. And it was just, it, it was also, maybe you've had this experience um, in his final years Oh, he became himself, you know, fully. He was dying and he was also so alive and so new and so um, realized sort of as a person. And so being with him in that final time, it was compelling. And, uh, and, and that, and the love that he and and his fourth wife shared was also compelling her uh devotion to him all of it this this little country um town in the mountains and how all the people were bringing casseroles and all the people were loving them again it was community and it, i was seeing it with my own eyes in a way that i hadn't before um and and I'm thinking that casseroles might be a through line because the, <laughs> the lizards also were really good with the casseroles. And I just think something about that touches me when people bring you a casserole. I don't know. Um, sharing food is very, <laughs> sharing food is such a very, you know, basic elemental it's so way important. of, you know, yes. feeding each other is both a, both a, a material and a metaphor. Yes. Yes, it is. It's such a metaphor. So there was this one night when I was visiting him very near the end, and he it was the first time he couldn't make it across the yard to the church to teach his Bible study class, his adult Bible study class. So the whole class came across the road and entered the living room. 
And and he was so surprised. And they said, well, Don, you know, we, we know you couldn't make it to us. So we brought class to you. And they created a circle around him. And of course, he couldn't teach. He was, you know, not at that point. But but they just stood there, you know, and everybody and a few jokes. And, and he just kept saying, oh, I can't believe we're having class. I can't believe that we're having class. And there was all this love surrounding him. And I was just kind of blinking and watching all of this and 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 realizing how powerful it felt. And so when he died, um, I immediately tried to find a church and I ended up at a Methodist one near my my home and I was in Cambridge, Massachusetts in those days, uh, just so I could feel close to what he had been experiencing. And, mm-hmm. and it was just a you know, it was just a, a regular old fashioned sort of church, but it was dear and it, it meant a lot to me. And then we moved to another suburban town and there wasn't a Methodist church. So there was an Episcopal one. And we visited my daughter and I visited a couple of churches. And I think the Episcopalians were the ones who they brought me a pie or a plant or something. And I was impressed. And so <laughs> we went back and I mean, this is this is not a very. um uh, high flown religious path. It was much more intuitive and experiential. And it was just about the people that I met and the, and the places that started to feel like home for different reasons. And the Episcopal church in this little town just happened to feel like home. And so we started going there and, and, um, (laughs) I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I know it's I, I but I just I'll tell you no, we have both a pie and a casserole ready for you. So You do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had no idea. This is great. I mean, food is everything in church. Yes. It's everything. I I I minister with food so much and it's it feels like an effortless expression of love to me. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but how did I, how did I become a priest? I mean, that's the, that's the thing that's still there. There was a moment when I'm no longer married, but when I was dating my then future husband, um, so this was, you know, 30 years ago, (laughs) um, I, one of our first dates, I remember sitting across the table from him on Block Island and, and, um, I said, there's something I need you to know. Someday, I I think I'm going to be a minister, and it was so strange because I I those words didn't come from I didn't have any knowledge that I was going to say those words. They came from somewhere else, right. out of my mouth, and I think I was as surprised as he was when I said it. But it just came out, and so I feel as though I was being formed a long time before I was conscious of it. And that was just a weird moment, a fluky moment when some formation information came out <laughs> before, before I was aware. Uh, That's but amazing. That's amazing. I know. But then yeah. 20 years later or 15 years later, when we were living in this suburban town, I started to feel this incredible restlessness and, um, uh, and soon after that, um, we moved to Uganda and, 
and it was during the time in Uganda that that things really solidified for me. But I was, I we'd had a few women priests at my church that that really made a lot of sense to me. That were they were people who, one in particular that I could pray with, and and I shared with this one of one of them right before we left this restlessness, and um, <laughs> she gave me a book about women. Episcopal priest. <laughs> so I had a little bit of an idea. And then when I was in Uganda, I was going to these big evangelical Bible studies because I wanted to be with all these Ugandan women and this is what they were doing. And, you know, I was just feeling so much movement. And um, yeah, I was, I was teaching in a slum, uh, in a, in a truck, the container from a truck with a door and window cut in. This is where I was teaching this group of small children. And, um, and, and one day we, we sat on mats on the floor and one day I was just sitting there with them and we were, we were laughing and doing some kind of math manipulatives and, 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 and having fun. And I, I just felt all the pieces of my life so far that I didn't need any more fall away it was as if they just fell off of me and clunk to the clunk to the floor and 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 um and from that moment on I was so clear that that this was this was what I wanted I didn't know how to get there I had no idea what it would take to become a minister or um or how long or where I would go, or I had no idea, but I just knew. And, and my husband at the time kept saying, just please don't get saved. Please don't get saved. He was so worried that I turned into an evangelical because there was a lot of fervor going on with me, but it wasn't evangelical fervor. It was just, it was just coming alive and in, in another, and in, 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 sort of in a, in a, in a, for me, a much deeper iteration of coming alive, sort of like the original baptism, pre-baptism moment. And, and I just couldn't wait to, to get back to the United States and figure out how to do this. And, and I went to see my priest and I sort of burst into her office and said, something's happening to me. And, and I, <laughs> and I said, I don't understand how this is happening. I'm in my forties. I'm, I'm old, you know, how can I, how can I do this now? And, and, and she was so beautiful to me. She said, um, Jesus only had three years. And, and it's true that he only had three years of active ministry. We don't know anything about the other years and what he was up to. And, and, and that made me feel so much better. And so I went to seminary and I did a million different volunteer things to test my vocation with, with small children, with the elderly, with hospital work, all of it. And, um, and, and every moment of that, the next maybe four years, it was, just, it was like falling off a log. It was so great and fun and thrilling and, uh, yeah. And it's felt pretty much like that ever since. <laughs> I mean, my life hasn't always been, um, smooth, but, but my sense of, of the divine and, 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 and my conviction that that I am part of something that I've that I'm called to something is as strong as it 
has, has, has been just as strong all these years since. Almost, let's see. So I was ordained in, in 09 until now. It's a very, it's very beautiful and very human because it's, you know, it's in movies, it's things may happen in these kinds of like, you know, explosions of clarity at times and then Mm -hmm. everything moves very swiftly. But the way you talk about it is the way it happens for most humans. Mm -hmm. And what I, what I'm interested too, obviously, because as we're looking at this, there's definitely a through line with women that affect you. What is you know, you talk about there's the Lutheran woman, then there were the Episcopal priests you talk, mm-hmm. and the women mm-hmm. in Uganda, and mm-hmm. you and your your main, you know, your your pastor, your priest was was a woman. So, mm-hmm. what is the quality of mm. of yeah. a feminine interaction that you're having with the faith that seems to pull you in? Is there? I mean, do you, can you can you define it or can you distinguish it from what your experience is? Otherwise, or you know, how mean, would you, what would you thank say? you for that question. I, you know, I don't think I fully noticed that all of my, all of my mentors have been women. That I seek them out. I think it's because with women, I feel nurtured and safe. I I feel um I mean I've just there've been so many great ones. The one the one male mentor that I had during one of my field ed years during seminary, you know, you, you have to spend two years working in a church helping um before you're ordained. And so I was in two different churches and one of them was with a, a man. And he didn't even want to have anything to do with me. So he farmed out my supervision to a woman priest who was a parishioner there. I mean, he just, you know, there, it hasn't been the same with, um, with male priests. And I don't know if, I I don't, I I don't know what that is, but, um, but I've always felt with, with women priests and religious women that I've known a sense of welcome and safety and nurture and encouragement and love and just a sisterly bond. That's, that's how I'm able to do my best work when I'm around that kind of energy, when I'm around, um, judgmental energy, I can't, (laughs) that, that priest that I was telling you about the, the male priest, whenever I was in his office, whenever he had to deal with me for a few minutes, you know, it was as if he was wincing, like I was some kind of a, you know, like I was going to knock over the furniture or something. I don't know. It was just the weirdest thing that I, maybe there's a level on which some, not all, but some of the older generation of male priests just don't love that women are priests. I think that's, I mean, I know that obviously in my faith tradition, I know Dawn also, I'm sorry to, I know you, you're ready to, you have a question, but just jump in on, I just wanted to, to follow up, I, I think that that is that is certainly there. When I've talked to people about, you know, I felt, feel like the Catholic Church should uh, ordain women as priests. I'm sure this will get to the Vatican, and I'll have to answer for it soon. But, <laughs> but <it's, laughs> why didn't we think of that, Sean? Thank you so much. That's a but, great idea. <laughs> but but, um, <laughs> but when I bring it up to people, I talk. Some people receive it, and then some people are just like, "Oh no." 
And I don't even know what that means. Like, what, what do you mean? Oh, I know. Yeah, exactly. Oh, like, what do you think's going to happen? Like, I, I don't. So maybe that's part of it. And, uh, and I don't know. That. I mean, for me, so many of the male priests that I that are my colleagues now are um, are gay men, and it's totally different with them. Totally, hundred percent different with them. Um, and I think it's because women and gay men have been marginalized in the church previously, and so. There's, there's not that sense that they're holding the power and I'm trying to take it from them. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot Marginalized to I, I, is a very uh, kind yeah. way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> Marginalized does sound a little, a little more subtle than I mean. <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little more gentle than, uh, than the experiences that have been had over the years. Yeah. Well, I'm going to butt in here as, yes, the, as the pagan on the podcast. Woo, go for it. Um, because it's, I found it really interesting to hear uh, your early life was very similar to mine. Um, I was actually raised by an, in an atheist household, mm, mm-hmm. and uh, my big rebellion um, in terms of spirituality when I was a young teen was to sneak out and go to various different churches and and attend wow. their services, looking for something, you know, seeing if anything would speak to me. Yeah. Um, and nothing really did. So my big conversion was. Um, when I read uh, Drawing Down the Moon, and I realized, oh, I'm a pagan. And all of the things that you refer to, that you felt coming from these connections with these women, I would call that goddess. Mm. To me, that is Mm. a feminine love that Mm. the goddess brings. She is mother of all or mother of none. Mm. That sense of loving with no limits, with no judgments, with no um, exceptions or, mm-hmm. or or controls upon it, mm-hmm. is what I would I call goddess. Um, Thank you. I love that. I love that. So I'm kind of curious, and this is not a you know defend your choices, but just a curiosity about how. How do you reconcile all mm. of this amazing love and feminine energy mm. with a male-based religion? <laughs> right, right. Is How? there, do you feel, when you think of Jesus, mm-hmm. does it feel like a male presence to you? Or does it feel like something that has no gender or is it a mix of male and female how do how do you how do you experience it yeah 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 um specifically with jesus i think because there he was an historical person as well i mean i think of him as a boy mm-hmm. but but certainly the that god energy um, feels, doesn't feel male to me, but our tradition, I mean, I'm well aware that my tradition is, is almost completely couched in male language. And it's just mostly the story of what was, what the guys were saying to each other. And, and I know that there was another whole story going on at the same time that nobody ever wrote down. And, I'm very curious, and yet, and sometimes when I'm reading these stories that did get written down, I, 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 I 
I try to feel what, what else was happening, you know, what else, what, what were the women thinking and saying and, and <laughs> how are they reacting in these moments? So um, it's, it's an ancient tradition and set of stories. And I think they have, they have resonance that, that, that appeals to me because of their ancientness. And I guess for me, I, I feel like because there are so many people for whom this tradition is their faith life, mm-hmm. um, if, I, if I can infuse it with, um, with feminine energy and embody another variation of, of, of what it looks like, you know, mm-hmm. to lead in a, in a faith setting, um, and I think that just that, that I, this word embody means a lot to me. Um, I, I, I feel like it's a kind of a, a heart surgery that I'm performing every week with everyone really. And, and for men, um, I know that they crave connection to the maternal they're desperately in need of it you know yes and um and so i feel like there's a way in which i'm able to to do that work with them and that feels important there's a lot of things that i think that women in in my church already have going on their bonds with one another, their, their ability to talk to each other about what's really happening in their lives. It's sort of much, much more automatic for them than it is for men. If I'm making some huge generalizations. Well, right? we do live no, in a patriarchy. We so. do live in a patriarchy. And yeah. so in that sense, so this is a very, so yeah, so I'm, 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 I guess I've, I've infiltrated a patriarchal institution <laughs> in a way that, that is, um, that, and and that is um, that is curative. Yes, that is healthier for the institution. Yes, yes. And you know, how do you get at people? How do you get to people? It's through institutions. They're all they're all imperfect, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can work with this one. <laughs> you know, they're they're thematically. Um, I can work with this one. And, and of course, I'm, I'm thrilled um, every chance I get to, to work with stories about women, the few that there are. Um, and we have an icon in our church that's really dear to me. It's huge. It's as big as a window. And um, um, and they and don't they call, I think they call icons windows to heaven. And it's, um, and it's a black woman she looks like she might be Sudanese holding a baby Jesus and the baby's squawking or crying and she looks a little bit exhausted um but also profoundly committed to whatever needs to be done and this icon it's we call her our lady of the Sudan and if she was actually written by a man in prison and I love I love this icon so much and and to me she's the heart of my church you know I go in there a lot to look at that icon um yeah 
I mean, we're I'm sort of maybe 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 um, uncovering the fuller story of Christianity, uncovering um, how it's really a story for everyone. I guess that's. I guess that's. I, does, I hope I don't sound defensive. No, 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 no. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think there's one thing that, particularly, you know, we. I don't know how familiar you are with Elaine Pagels and Elaine Pagels' writings, but she writes a lot about women in the early church. And we did a podcast. Mm. I'll send a. I'll, I'll send you the link with it. Didn't and, she write the, a book about Mary Magdalene? I'm trying to remember. Did she write a Mary Magdalene? Because I've read the Gnostic Gospels and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. George. Yeah, um, but. One of the things that I got from in, in reading her work and as she uncovered the history is just how much there was that feminine mm-hmm. element, how strong it was, and how that part of the early church. It's you now I I guess for me I always look at it as that that feminine element is in the teachings. It's in Christ. And it is. I mean, yeah. I mean, all of his yeah. moves, all of his moves are are moves that a woman would make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I know, and it's, and it's very true, and and the fact that we don't acknowledge Mary and Martha and all the other, not just mm. his mother, Mary, which is, which is for me as a Catholic, the rosary is very important to me. So that's my exactly. sort of entry to the feminine, but, yes. but the, the, the number of women who were involved in his ministry. So I, right. a lot of what we get is what happens historically by a lot of Roman men uh, yeah. and traditional, uh, traditional men and of his faith who just did not welcome that that feminine presence because you did have women preaching and women as part yeah. of like proselytizing early on. So it's and funding there. and funding. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you, you represent something of like a return to where things were and an, mm. and an opportunity, like you say, for men of finding a, there's a feminine presence um, in the faith. I mean, for me, it's through Mary, especially, but, but again, well, the, yeah. the fact that there are, there are women who can, preach i think really makes a big difference in a church and just we, we did saying. a podcast with um uh, caitlin shetler a while back on the feminine yeah. divine and she yeah. was raised in evangelical christianity and she is mm-hmm. sort of in the process of searching for the divine feminine um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she talked about how the at least the the group that she was um, brought up in completely eradicated any feminine aspect wow. from, from wow. their teachings. And she was talking about how, you know, when she had uh, brief encounters with Catholics and they talked about Mary, how she immediately felt like that was a mm. lifeline, like that, that yes. was this, this, this amazing thing that she wanted to know more about. And, yes. um, you know that the cult of Mary, I believe it's called in many mm. in many sort of Catholic faiths um, around the world. I mean, veneration, yeah, veneration. Just, just yeah, there is this yeah. incredibly strong yeah. um, pull towards those feminine divine forces. Absolutely, because we're starving for them. Yeah. And back to men for a minute. I'm, if I can just make one more vast generalization about men, which is ridiculous. Go for it. <laughs> I think so many men, especially not now, not the young ones coming up, but my generation and and earlier, um, you know, they they've been they are repressed, and um, and 
and I think that they they've been they've been acculturated to be you know all about achievement and and all of these sort of hollow hollow things and and I think that they are starving for nurture yes and uh and in a, in a faith way in in a um in a god way <laughs> and um and I think that when when we don't find ways to check the that kind of repression you know monstrous things happen in cult in our culture right so yeah. So patriarchy feel, hurts everyone, the men everyone. and the women. The yeah. men and the women. Yeah. But but the men do more of the hurting. And so <laughs> because of how they hurt hurt people, hurt people. Right. So um it's yes. it's it it feels important. It feels important to to bring to lead with love and nurture and warmth and acceptance, you know, and in my tradition, that's not always the way people lead. I think that there's, um, I don't even know how to characterize some of the other ways that people lead, but it isn't always like that. So I think that at least I'm a counterbalance. Mm. But that being said, um, Don, I've never met a faith tradition that I didn't love for some reason or another. And I think that I have, I've always felt like no matter what tradition I was born into, I would have sort of found a way or I would have been found into a religious life. It must be the case. Cause how did I, however did I get here? You know, <laughs> and, um, and and I think if I were Catholic, you know, it would have been the Mary lifeline the same. And if and if I um, had been Jewish, I I like to believe I I would have been a rabbi. And and if I were pagan, then I would be embracing the the way that you're describing the goddess energy. And I and because I think it's all running through all of our faith traditions. You know, it's it's it's. It cannot be denied. It cannot be denied. Oh, I love that. Yes, it cannot be denied. I think that would be the perfect way to stop. I agree. (laughs) 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 On that that really beautiful note, um, uh, let's thank the Reverend Dr. Kate Kress. Thank you, Kate, for joining us today. It's been really wonderful. I'm going to give you a, a wild applause here. <laughs> wow, I feel really good. Thank you. This was a lovely discussion. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank and you for sharing. inviting me. Absolutely. I love I love talking to you you all and I um it's been a real honor. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, again, thank you Dawn. As always, it's just wonderful to take the journey with you. Absolutely. Thank you, Sean. And this has been the 34 Circe Salon, the Make Matriarchy Great Again broadcast. We are doing uh, our discussion of the feminine divine. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back again with you very soon. Take care, everyone, and blessed be.